Um, you know that you're being convicted of a, of a horrible thing in your own life that you need to turn away from. Um, I'm, I, I claim to be a West Coast fan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't actually tell you the name of any West Coast players, coach, or staff of any variety. Current. Probably tell you one or two from the 90s. Couldn't even tell you what years. Um, haven't watched a game in, well, let's just say a long time. Um, ever since I, I bailed out on a grand final to go and play video games when I was a teenager. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I know that wasn't the part of the kids' talk that should have spoken to me the most. Kids, don't, don't hear the illustration being the most important thing. But hey, that, that one hit me. Hey, if, you, uh, if you have a Bible there with you and you haven't already, please flick open to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we are in uh, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22 today. Um, and, and I'm going to do just a little bit of, um, a little bit of backlog here, um, uh, work, working back into last week. You might remember last week, yeah, actually, let me say that. If you've got kids who would still like to pick the, uh, the, the colouring in sheets and stuff up, they are just there. There is no longer an intimidating man standing next to them. That was me. Um, look, uh, last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Um, uh, and we saw that it came in response to what happened at the end of chapter 1, which was where Paul was praying that we would know the power of God expressed towards us. He, he prayed for the Ephesians and for the church there, and there's a prayer that applies to us as well. Because as we know God through the gospel and know his power expressed to us most fully in the gospel, then we are transformed to be like Jesus. So in, in 2, 1 to 10, God's power, we saw, was expressed towards us in grace, sheer grace. And God's, uh, we, saw, we saw this in a number of ways. God's power is expressed towards us in grace, and it looks like this. It looks like in Jesus, we are moved from death to life. In Jesus, we are moved from the kingdom of Satan and of darkness to the kingdom of Christ, to seated at the right hand, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. In Jesus, we are given faith to persevere, and it's all grace. In Jesus, we're given, we, we, we move from children of wrath to an eternal inheritance. In Jesus, we are given, and this, this really works on to what uh, you know, mum here was saying in the kids' talk just now, that we are given grace to have good works to do. They are not something that is, that is driven primarily from us, but they are a gift from God to be done. It's all grace. But Paul's not done there. That's kind of where we, where we let off last week. This passage continues to build on that theme of the power of God expressed towards us in grace through Christ Jesus. And, and you, see, uh, you see what he's doing, right? Paul is bringing us, the people of God, into the glorious realities of what the gospel of Jesus Christ means for us in our lives. And it's more beautiful than we could have ever hoped for or imagined or dreamed. He's praying for us to know the power of God expressed towards us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and and now, now he's going to bring us into the effect of the gospel, that gospel power in our relationships specifically this week. And if you wanted to boil down what he's going to say here, uh, the, the point of it for us that we can take away, you would say that the grace 
of vertical restoration with God flows out into horizontal re uh, reconciliation between his people. And right there, I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to keep on going. Jesus, would you speak to us today through your word? Build us up to be more and more the people of God. Break down the dividing walls of hostility that are amongst your people. Let the church be a place where there is unity in Christ through your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So like last week's passage, this one, this one captures the power of God in the gospel with a from and to contrast. Remember that last week, you moved from death, from the power of Satan, from being a child of wrath to life in Christ Jesus, seated in the heavenly places. And, and, and this time, Paul specifically, he zeroes in on something specific about the readers, mainly that they are Gentiles. Now, I don't know if everyone knows what a Gentile is. Uh, my brief summary would be your one. But if I wanted to pan it out a little, I'm, I'm making assumptions here, sorry. But I pan it out a little bit more. First century AD, where this was written, you had kind of two people groups. There were the Jews, who were the uh, Israelites of old, the, the people of God, uh, through the, the covenants of Moses and things like that. And, and then you had everybody else who they referred to as the Gentiles, the people who were not the covenant people of God, not ethnic Israel, not in that. And, and, and um, if, unless you're a, an ethnic, ethnically Jewish person, that, that covers you as well. Um, that's us. Um, uh, this, was a, this was a big division. We're going to talk about this a little bit more later on. But it wasn't just a division of kind of like, well, we're different to you, so we don't like you. There was, there was generational hatred going on here. There was, there was persecution and death that had lasted a long time. Oppression, invasion. We'll talk about it a little bit more later on. But it was a big division. And first, Paul um, starts, just like last week, he starts with what the terrible darkness is that you've been brought out of. He points out a very relational separation at the start here that is, that is in this darkness. He says, um, you were called the circumcision by what is called, uh, sorry, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Now notice what he could have done here if he just wanted to say, you're Gentiles. If I was going to express that, the way I would express that is that I would say, you're Gentiles. That would be my fun summary. But he doesn't. Paul wants us to note a relational element here to what's happening. He wants us to see that there is a brokenness to both sides of this relationship. He says, you are called the uncircumcision. What, what that is, that's name calling. Not by Paul. He's pointing out that, it is, that Gentiles are called the uncircumcision by Jews. Uh, that, and that, that's an offensive term. You know, it's basically saying, you're not one of us. You're the uncircumcision. Like it's kind of a dirty word almost. Uh, the people of Israel resented and were hostile towards you, he says, and quite often you were towards them as well. But then even they, even the people of Israel, were not right with God either. He points out they were called the circumcision. Notice that. He doesn't say you were called the, circum the uncircumcision by the circumcision. He says by what is called the circumcision, made in flesh by hands. He's pointing out that they were hostile to you because you were distant from God's covenant and you were hostile to them and they were not as close to God as they thought. 
Do you see what's happening here? There is, there is a wall here of hatred. There's a, and there's a good reason that he starts here in this division. He's going to come back around to it by the time we get to midway through this passage. Because he wants us to see that there are horizontal dimensions to the change that is affected in you by Jesus. But before he gets there, Paul's going to take us down into the gospel roots first. He points out that there was a good reason for the hostility. Actually, before he even gets to the gospel roots, he's going to give us an, another layer to that depth of darkness. He says, before Jesus, you were separated from Christ. Um, and like that, that might be obvious, right? But, but we, we shouldn't skim over those words. This, this, I th he's going to give us like three things that were true of us. You were separated from Christ. You were, I've forgotten my three things. Um, we'll get to them. But the first one is you were separated from Christ. And this is by all means the largest of them. Uh, it's key. And it's hard to overstate how seriously we should read these words in light of what we've already seen in the book of Ephesians. Now, we, we, we are one and a half chapters in by this verse, right? Uh, and, and if you were to pick one phrase that has been said more than anything else, it has been in Christ. He's talked about all these things true of you in Christ. Here's what um, Benjamin Merkel, he's a commentator. My clicker isn't working. Um, if, yeah. But uh, Benjamin Merkel, he wrote the ESV commentary on this. He, he says, um, this deficiency separated from Christ, this deficiency represents the main issue indicated by its placement first in the list. If every spiritual blessing is available only to those united with Christ, and if our rescue from the world, the devil and the flesh, comes from being united with Christ, then to be without Christ is to forfeit those blessings and that status. Do you see what it means that they were separated, that we were separated from Christ? Let me, let me give you to it bluntly. Thus far in Ephesians, Paul has explicitly stated with the words in Christ or a comparable phrase in him, um, these things. He has said... In Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours. In Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you are holy. In Christ, you are blameless. In Christ, you are adopted. In Christ, you are predestined. In Christ, you have redemption through his blood. In Christ, all things come together in him. In Christ, you have an inheritance. In Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. In Christ, you have the power of God expressed towards you in grace. In Christ, you have been moved from death to life. In Christ, you have been seated in the heavenly places, removed from the kingdom of Satan. In Christ, you have awaiting you the immeasurable riches of his kindness towards you. In Christ, you are his workmanship, given good work to do in him. So saying, remember, you were separated from Christ means you had none of that. It's kind of all built up at this point. And then he said, but remember that none of that was true for you before. In fact, in most cases, it was the opposite. Wasn't it? Like, like separated from Christ, you were under the curse. You were not adopted children of God, but children of wrath. Not, not redeemed, but condemned. You were dead. You were hurtling towards hell. You had awaiting you the immeasurable weight of wrath deserved by sin. And not just this. He says you were alienated from Israel. And you were strangers to the covenants of peace. God's promises existed, you didn't know them. You were separated from his people, separated from his promises, 
So he summarizes, you had no hope in the world. No hope and no God, that's how Paul puts it. The point here is that although there was already a God, he's, he's always been there, you were distant from him and were not his people. You had no realistic prospect of coming into his people or his presence. You were far off, he says. And this is us. You know, each of us and all of us before we knew him. There is no exception to this. We were all far off. And then there's, like, just like last week, there's the but moment. And just like last week, the, the from is very dark and the to is incandescently bright. And it's more than just a repetition of what we saw last week here. He says, but now in Christ Jesus. Do you see? Do you see how that contrasts? You were separated from Christ, but now in Christ Jesus. You are in him. He's got you. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the power of God expressed towards you through grace in the gospel. It's not by God's whim or by some medium effort on his part or some large effort on our part, but by the blood of Christ you have been brought near, it is so certain. And what he means by that, that, that we've been brought near, is actually kind of two things, actually, as it turns out. First, uh, remember how he emphasised in that opening verse the hostility in the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, right? Um, now he tells us that in the breaking of the body of Jesus, the wall of hostility has been broken down. As Jesus was killed, he killed the hostility between us. Paul says that Jesus abolished the law of ordinances. It's a bit wordy. What he means is that there is you know, circumcision, uncircumcision. These things mean nothing anymore. The only thing that means anything now that Jesus has died for you is that you are in Christ, circumcised or uncircumcised. And as a result, we are now one people. The root of that is that he has brought us near, though, to God. So he said two things. It means we're brought near to each other, and, and at the root of that, we are brought near to God. And as Paul wraps up this passage, he tells us what this means for us now. What we've been brought, um, that, what it means that we have been brought near to one another and near to God. Now, now that the body and the blood of Christ have been given for us, making us reconciled, we are citizens, he says. We are citizens of God's kingdom. He's laying some identity groundwork here for us. We are members of his household. You are never distant again if you've come into Christ by believing in him. Not just that, this household is growing because it is in Christ Jesus, it is growing, it is growing to be a holy temple for his glory. 
And before we move into applying this some more, um, just, just consider for a second what he means by these words that he says here, because they're significant and we could easily skip over them. He says, in whom, that is in Jesus, the whole structure, the whole temple being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So in Jesus, the whole structure, God's people, joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Notice this isn't just a thing that happens for you in the past. You know, he's just given a bunch of things that you have been brought to that are now true of you. And this one is now true that this is a thing that is happening for you now, ongoing. Um, it's something Paul's going to press into a lot when we get up to chapter four. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to drive it too hard here, but hear this message beginning now. When the church, the people of God, understand themselves in relation to Jesus, and we see who he is and see him more clearly and see him in relation to us, when we see him more truly and we treasure him more dearly, then we display him more clearly in the world. That, that's what it means to be his temple. Um, don't worry, no one's going to turn you into a rock. The temple is the dwelling place of God where people come to encounter him, right? If you boil it on down, that's what a temple is. As we, indwelt by the Spirit of God, grow to see Jesus, grow to love Jesus, grow to know more fully and trustingly the love of Jesus for us, we become the place of God's presence visibly shown in the world. Don't hear me wrong here. This doesn't mean that to get God's Spirit, you have to grow and grow and grow. No, God's Spirit is in you. And as you grow to trust the truths of the gospel by the Spirit's power, you display the reality of God in your life. You become a, a display of the gospel. But now, let's, let's zoom out, right? Um, church, the call of Ephesians, uh, so often the call of the Bible is to step into what is already true of us in Christ. This book presents us with the reality of what is true of us in Christ and then it just calls us to live in line with the truth. That, that's what gospel tra transformation looks like. Remember this because this is, this is one of the big points of this book and it's going to keep, keep coming up. Gospel transformation is increasingly trusting the truth about Jesus as it applies in every area of my life or your life. Gospel transformation is increasingly trusting the truth about Jesus as it applies to every area of your life. You want to know how to grow in your Christian walk? This is it. Gospel transformation, increasingly trusting the truth about Jesus as it applies to every area of your life. But this passage, this passage in particular that we're in, gives us one absolutely essential outworking of that growth, right? Doesn't it? Of that gospel application. If we understand our identity in relation to God rightly, then it will transform the hostile relationships and bring reconciliation within his people. Where before only, only perhaps hurt seemed like the possible outcome, the gospel brings reconciliation. The grace of vertical restoration flows out in horizontal reconciliation. Do you see what I'm saying here? 
see what Paul's saying here, more importantly. Because isn't it clear that, that if the body and the blood of Jesus is enough to break down the wall between Jew and Gentile, then it is enough to break down any barrier between people and people groups. Seriously. You want, a, you want a fun read? Not a fun read. Go and have a read about some of the stuff that happened to the Jews at the hands of the Gentiles in, in what we call the intertestamental period between the Old, Old Testament closing and the, the New Testament opening. It's, it's hardcore. Don't read it to your kids to go to bed. Um, most, here's a summary. Most of the people groups around the Jewish nation, from the Samaritans to the Romans to the Greeks to everyone, for the Jews, all of these people had something in common. Do you know what it was? They had either invaded them or helped someone else to do so. That's the common factor for every nation surrounding Judea at the time, right? That's, that doesn't make for a positive relationship. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, and, and, you know, this wasn't just some minor ethnic difference. And, and I want to labour this because we can have such a tendency to go, yeah, sure, God, God could break down the, the barrier between Jew and Gentile, but this person over here, this person really hurt me. You know, they did something awful to me. And people do awful things to each other. Don't get me wrong. There are real walls of division. We don't want to pretend the wall's not there. We want to know that the gospel can break it down. It wasn't some minor ethnic difference, not some minor religious difference either. There was multi-generational hurt here. There were literal centuries, multi-centennial hurt, if you want a term for it. Injury persisting for centuries of active oppression, active persecution, active attack. And, and yet Jesus breaks it down in his flesh, this dividing wall of hostility between these two groups. And he makes one man, one body, one people, one church. Church, there is no place for hostility within the people of God. Not at all. Not even a little bit. It does not have a home here. You can disagree. I'm not saying you can't disagree. I can't, I'm not saying you can't come up to me after this sermon and go, I think you've got something wrong, John. Please, I invite you. We'll have a, a, a godly, friendly, loving conversation about that. We can do that because we have Christ. You can talk it out. You can struggle with the character of another Christian, uh, the flaws in a person. Uh, you, can, you can be bothered by them and, 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 and struggle with that. But at the end of the day, insofar as Jesus has died for you, and has risen to new life. Insofar as you believe that to be true, the hostility between you and any brother or sister in him, for whatever reason, must die. I know this is a hard call that I'm throwing out here. I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but Paul throws it out here for us. Jesus breaks down the wall. He picks a good word for it there, doesn't he? Like when you have something that is an issue, a fight, a, a gripe with someone, it feels like a wall. It feels like a wall that you can't get over. Good news, bad news rather, you can't get over it. Good news, Jesus can smash that thing. His grace is enough. Let me give you the negative side of this equation. Because so often you see Christians who act like this kind of doesn't apply to me. 
who acts like, you know what, um, sure, Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, but that person has something really wrong with them, and I really don't like them, and so that makes it okay that I'm angry and mean to them. That makes it okay that I hate them. To treat a fellow believer with hostility and with hate is to deny the saving work of Jesus. That's what this is tantamount to. It is to lay a sledgehammer to the stones of God's temple, his chosen temple in this world. It is to, to attempt to mutilate the body of the one who died to save you. This is so serious. Church, the meaning of this is profound for the people of God and it warrants our attention. The point here, let me be very clear, the point here is not you are duty-bound to reconcile with your brothers and sisters. You could easily walk out of this thinking that was the point. That's not the point. The point is God has worked his power toward you with such grace. He has given such love to you, such forgiveness to you, that when you see it rightly, and only, the only response possible is to forgive others and love them, especially those upon whom he has placed his love. You want to, you want to see how this works? Like, you might even still hear this and go like, you know, that's great. The Bible seems a bit distant. It's 2,000 years ago. I'm not sure if that can work out today. You want to see it work out? Have a look at Rwanda, you know, in, in the, the post, you know, 1994 genocide, one of the great genocides of our modern era. Look at Rwandan Christians who watched their families be murdered and yet were led in Christ Jesus to forgiveness towards the people who killed them. Doesn't, doesn't that make the things that we might hold against someone seem a little, little bit smaller? I don't know about you, no one's ever murdered my family. Um, hopefully never happens. I'm just putting it out there. You want to see what it looks like? You look up the story of Corrie Ten Boom, right? Um, a few people have probably heard of her. Um, she was imprisoned in a concentration camp in World War II for harbouring Jews in her house. Uh, her, her sister Betsy... Uh, was taken to the same concentration camp for the same reason. She died there. Um, they, they, they literally killed her long and slow. And she, she tells a story. I'm going to read it to you now. I don't, don't have it up here. So you're going to have to listen. She tells a story of, of, of two years after the war. So this was all still pretty fresh for her. Uh, when she was speaking at a, at a church in Germany. She, I'll, I'll read it. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the, the overcoat and the brown hat the next, a blue uniform, a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. 
Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, he, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I couldn't. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It couldn't have been more than many, uh, been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can, I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. So often, Christians, we, we need this reminder, don't we? The cross overwhelms with love any reason we might find for hostility towards one another. Corrie Ten Boom, Rwandan Christians, um, they shouldn't be seen as exceptions to the rule. They shouldn't be seen as, as, as people who we idolise and go, wow, they're the super Christians. Um, we rejoice that that happened. But the point is that they had a great saviour. And they knew the love of Jesus. And so they forgave and they loved. We come to Jesus with a lot of baggage, don't we? I mean, I don't know about you, I did. I still do. It includes our relational baggage. It's probably, probably the biggest part. How we relate to specific people, to specific groups of people. You know, maybe there are people in this world that you know are your brothers and sisters. You know that Christ has placed his love upon them, but for whatever reason, you just can't reconcile with them. You know, maybe, maybe you have a, I mean, this, it feels petty to say it, um, but maybe you have a difference on a an area of secondary theology and you go, you know what, that means I can't love that person. Maybe someone's really hurt you. 
Maybe someone's offended you with the words they've said or hurt you with the actions that they've done. You know, it, is, it is unthinkable that you would be able to forgive that person in your own power. Whatever reason, you struggle to reconcile with this person, right? I reckon there are people here today who have someone in mind as I say these words. Don't do it because John told you to do it. Do it because Jesus died so that you could. Do it because a much greater division was healed first between you and God. You know, let me, let me close by saying this. If, if you don't know Jesus, you might just feel like this seems unrealistic or impossible. Let me tell you, it is impossible. Without Jesus, the healing that has happened in so many places in the world throughout so many centuries of this world would be impossible. We can't do it in our own power. It's not a thing. But if you want, if you want to know that reconciling power, you first have to be brought near to God through faith in him, through faith in Jesus. You need to come to know Jesus and be reconciled to God and he will bring that reconciling power in your life. Why don't I pray for us? And if that's something you want to pray for, I'm going to give a few moments of silence first and then, and then I'll pray. Jesus, we come before you a people in the grip of grace. The mighty hand of our God holds us. And we know it is by your blood that we are redeemed and brought near to God and not by our efforts. And so, Lord, we come before you freely and acknowledge we don't always live up to what you've called us to. We have, many of us have held things against people, maybe even do now. I want to pray for the hearts of my brothers and sisters here that you would guard us from bitterness, guard us from hate, guard us from putting up a wall and maintaining it, from lovingly applying the mortar to the bricks with, by thinking over the wrong done to us. I want to pray, Lord, that Jesus, by your power in the gospel, we would see more gloriously today, maybe than ever before, the truth that you have defeated my sin and welcomed me in. You have brought me near to God and in so doing, you have given power. You have smashed, you have broken down the wall. I want to pray for real moments of reconciliation between God's people. I want to pray that you would make us a people heaven bent on reconciling that you would make this a place where there's one body not just in appearance but in truth and that as we grow as we grow to be the holy temple of god more and more as we grow to be your visible presence in this world that more would come to know you through us 
by your grace and your mighty work. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Look, um, we've talked a lot this morning about the reconciling power of Jesus, the reconciling power of the gospel. We're going to celebrate the reconciling power of the gospel now in communion. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to come take this with us. Um, Let me read you it first. And in talking, I've flicked way too far. Here's how Paul puts it. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you hear what we've been looking at in Ephesians in there? Know the power of God towards you. Here's the power of God towards you. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink, uh, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is a simple act. We're going to go to the table at the back here and we're going to take the juice, we're going to take the bread and we're going to remember Jesus' body was broken for me and his blood poured out for me and by this I am redeemed. I am brought near to God and he brings reconciling power into my life. So please, as you're ready, um, pray if you need and then head on up. Um, I think we all need prayer actually, to be completely honest. But head on up when you're ready. Take the juice, take the bread. Remember Christ died for you. As you're ready.